folks, make sure that rolling crew you're going with has all of their loyalty missions done, because it's time to hit the, the last relay on the way to the suicide mission here on V'ger, please. A heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. Have you ever celebrated so hard that you ate a fucking rat? <laughs> <laughs> I'm your co-host, Peter. Peter, um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to we'll get to the main event here shortly. I think you had some Trek-related news you wanted to talk I about do. first. Happy yeah. uh, Star Trek Day. Uh, I saw that. What makes fucking September 8th Star Trek Day? That is the date that the first episode of the original series premiered back okay. in 70-whatever. Uh, in the 60s. for but 60s, yeah. whatever. I'm sorry. On my old timeline, it was uh, that before Romulan saboteurs further convoluted the timeline. I, I, I always assumed that if there was going to be a Star Trek holiday, it should be on First Contact Day. But I guess like. Well, they ruined that with those shitty short treks. So we've got to move on. And that's indicative to uh, some of the news that's floating around out there that Paramount has finally started to pull its head out of its ass and realize that the bulk majority of new Trek, specifically the first two seasons of Picard, uh, most of discovery and some various other flops and failures, all uh, under the direction of Alex Kurtzman has not done them any favors. Paramount's stock is uh, sitting at the worst it's ever been in recent uh, years. And so is Disney's by the way. Oh, Disney's a whole other fucking podcast, man. That, I'm so far behind on list, like quality controlling our own podcast and top of the other podcasts I even listen to because there is so much choice drama just gushing out of Disney these days. Maybe that's what we should have done before. This has just gone into like the decision to kick ESPN off spectrum. Oh, Anyways, yeah. Yeah, you know what? When we take our our season break, maybe that can be our content. <laughs> you and God I only know what's going on, talk. but um. Things have not been going very well for Paramount and Star Trek is supposed to be the the jewel in the crown over there and is anything but. Now, I maintain that there has been some good stuff to come out of the recent new Trek, Picard season three, Strange New World season one at least, season two, I'm having a real hard time getting through, Lower Decks has been fun, but there's a lot of bad there and things allegedly have become so bad that there are now closed door talks that Alex Kurtzman is not allowed in on where they're trying to figure out how they're going to wrestle this thing away from him up to drastic steps such as green lighting test footage for new Trek divorced completely of anything Kurtzman secret robot hideout bad robot have done where they're attempting to continue the next generation timeline post nemesis. Interesting. Very. Very uh, interesting. Yes. So I just heard about this today. I'm going to have to really start looking into it. But if I can't even imagine the legality and trying to wrestle this shit away from Kurtzman. But, uh, you know, the popular consensus seems to be that nobody is at all interested in Section 31 as far as executive goes. The executives at Paramount. Uh, nobody wants anything to do with this uh, Starfleet Academy thing. Whatever the hell the holdup is, you still don't have anything formally announced for uh, Terry Metalis or the uh, Titan. Yeah, the Star Trek Legacy. Yeah, plan. So it seems like a real shit show. 
And I don't think that they can afford to stay the course any further on this. And uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. Well, nothing quite like economic necessity to wake people up to the obvious. One would hope that Terry Metalis, having clearly opened this door, would get a shot at some point in this adventure to to continue to do his ah, thing. That's the biggest precipitating factor in the fever of the meetings that Paramount's having, because word on the street is Metalis is currently in discussions with Disney. Oh, no. Oh, no. Can't have that. Can't have that. You're going to have to pull him back in somehow. Moops. Because he's a free agent out there, right? He was he, he was a gun for hire on Picard season three. I don't know. And my assumption, talking out of my ass, as all podcasters do, is that Metallus uh, has some sort of contractual obligation that keeps him under Kurtzman's finger as far as Trek goes. So that could be a real sticky proposition to think you're going to have Metallus write for you without Kurtzman interference. Um, and if Metallus knows this and that he's basically caught in a sand trap and you've got a lot of goodwill right now because you were able to, for the first time ever make an episode or let alone a season of Picard resonate well with fans. Why wouldn't you try to scoop them up? If you were Disney trying to pull star Wars out of arguably a deeper, Oh, much deeper hole. Uh, so grave. Soka might be the most embarrassing piece of media I've ever. Have you been watching it? Uh, I watched the first episode, and after that, I couldn't stomach watching the full episodes, so I kind of skipped around. I just can't find the fucks to give, man. I know you said Andor is good, and like I'm kind of keeping Andor in my back pocket. That like, if John Favreau somehow ends up at the helm of Lucas Arts, if somehow. They turn the Star Wars debacle over like I'll use that as my palate cleanser reset to get back in. But as it stands, like I just can't find the fucks to give. No, I I totally understand. I was watch I watched it more as a curiosity than expecting to be entertained. Like, um, you know, I'll, I'll save commentary. We'll, we'll do something else for this because I think we can go in at length. I've got a lot to say about Star Wars and or in particular and then just how bad Dave Filoni has turned out to be in translating his vision into something serious. And um, his prior flashes of brilliance really appear to have been only that, like he's not someone who should be in command of a project. He's much better under the wing of somebody who knows how to make things, but all the, you know, to shift back to star Trek though, I am encouraged that the conversation is even happening that they recognize that this crap that Kurtzman wants to make is bad and needs to be disposed of. And I'm with you in that boy, that sure seems like that's going to be a long road to hoe, but this strike has given them the opportunity to kill everything to stop this stuff before it gets worse. And hopefully that means they're going to seize it, you know? Well, if there's one thing Star Trek has plenty of it's, a long road. <laughs> you know, I before we get into where that long road to get from here to there to here has led us today, I had a, a very strange email hit our VJ please email, which is to say I got an email at all. People should email us more often, I'm just saying. Someone reached out 
and it's someone who's listened to our show before, happens to be a fellow podcaster. Oh, and- please tell me it's uh, Robert Beltran's daughter. <laughs> Thankfully, no. We haven't heard from her in a while now. And I never want to hear from her again, to be clear. (laughs) I never, that was a moment in time, frozen in amber, and that is all it will ever be. Please, God, let that poor girl live the rest of her life never knowing our names again, okay? But thing against her personally, it's just, yeah, no No. good will come of association between either of us, either party. Exactly, exactly. But no, gentleman by the name of Dan Schultz reached out and, hey, I've listened to your show. I really like it. Would you be interested in doing a promo swap with us? And I was like, oh, okay, well, well, let me look these guys up and I'll look up the show. And this is like a, their, their show's called Bandcamp. Uh, and it's a podcast. It's a literature focused podcast about books that have been banned at different times. So it's going through like chapter by chapter you know, reading the actual book and then talking about, you know, the the book itself is just a normal literature review podcast, but also trying to dissect, like, why would this have been banned at some point, right? Like, some things have uh, easier answers than others. Right now, they're doing The Outsiders is the book, you know, which is a, a high school reading classic and a book I probably haven't read in 20 years. So I'm very interested to kind of go through it with them. But it's like respectable. It's well produced. <laughs> they they really you know put a lot of effort in. Like, are, do do you know who we are? <laughs> do you, do you, like, did you actually? Like, I I literally wrote back. Are you sure? <laughs> you might want to go back and listen to Vox Sola. <laughs> it's like, how much of the back catalog have you sampled? But no, he said he was very sure. He really like he really thinks that um, uh, despite some perhaps. Uh, irregularities in terms of uh, our uh, our comedy stylings that we do have similar approaches to the material we look at and he really likes our show and we he would really like to do a swap with us and I said absolutely after getting a chance to listen to his so here you go Vizier Please first Bandcamp check them out Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Jen, and we're the hosts of Bandcamp, a comedy podcast where we read banned books and try to figure out why they were banned in the first place. This season, we're reading The Outsiders, one chapter at a time, out loud, so you don't have to. If you enjoy funny, smart talk, or kind of smart talk anyway, about banned books and the stupid reason some people want to ban them, as well as listening to us read a classic book, search for Bandcamp on your favorite podcast player, and that's banned with two N's. All right. Now with that, what are we talking about today? What are we talking about? Peter, what are we talking about today? We're talking about some uh, May 26th, 2004, season three, episode 24, Zero Hour. This is going to be the season finale of season three. This is written by Rick Berman. Brand Braga, two names that have not been featured under writing credits in quite some time. Directed by Alan Croker. This is going to be going down on February 14th. It's Valentine's Day, 2154. Poetic. Just let's let's have the greatest Valentine's gift for Earth of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You said it at the start, man. Like how... 
how much can you pack in? How many threads can you tie up? How many, how many things can you bring to an end in one 45 minute tidy episode of Star Trek? Well, I think we might've found the upper limit. There's not a wasted second on this thing. They are not spending any time explaining to you what happened before. You better be up to date. Are you going to be fucking lost? What the fuck is going on? I think even if you didn't know what was going on, the concepts are iconic enough that you could probably watch this thing coming in fresh if you could just appreciate some sci-fi and some hokey TV action and and have a good time with this. I will say I enjoyed this episode. I don't think it was as good as the previous entry. Agreed. And there are some definite flaws in this episode that really took me out of what was happening on screen. Uh, But overall, uh, this is a great culmination to a very long storyline. This is entry 25 of 28 for the Zindi crisis, which crazy that this doesn't even resolve all of it. I mean, that was a bit of a shocker at the end. Like you thought you were done. You're not done. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, but before we're anywhere near that, we're going to open up on Dolan and his uh, reptilian crew standing <laughs> around uh, discussing all that could have been and all that would happen. And even still, here they are. They've just killed the fucking uh, insectoid counselor, mm-hmm. leader guy, whatever. Rest in peace, smoldering catcher guy. Man, what a revelation that was. That yeah. uh, Lieutenant yeah. Ayala had been serving as the fucking state. What, what a wasted talent. <laughs> what a waste of a square cut jaw. <laughs> fucking. Although Dude. that does explain how that bug was able to manhandle uh, Archer to the degree it was back did, in the council. Did I ever mention that I like looked into where his life went after Voyager and he lives like an extraordinarily normal life? He like coaches his kids lacrosse team and shit. He's not an actor anymore. This is a guy that knows when to to go out on a high note. And uh, I got to be like a orbiter around Star Trek for like a solid 10 years or whatever. mm -hmm. I'm done. I'm out. Good looking guy in Hollywood. I bet you his wife's smoking hot. Oh, I bet. Maybe invested well. Maybe bought some stock in AOL or something. That played it looks out like then. he's living his. Be- well, I don't know if a stock in AOL would have been a good investment. Well, up to a certain point. I don't remember where they were in terms of 2004. We'd have to. I think there's another podcast for that. Uh, the Internet History Podcast with Patrick McCullough, which is excellent. I suggest checking that out at least the first couple of seasons. So these guys are standing around. They're saying, listen, you know, we're do or die right now. We're going to go blow up Earth. We're going to take over the Zindi race. And we're all going to be better off for it. And there's still some, I think, some admission that they know that something's fucky, right? Even now that they have been chosen by their godlike benefactors, the Guardians, a.k.a. the Seer Builders. You know, why why didn't they intervene at a different point? Why didn't they elevate us to the leader position earlier? Why didn't they do anything to avoid all of the unnecessary conflict and suffering and pain that we have had to take on up to this point? 
So it's kind of like this cognitive dissonance. But these mm-hmm. guys, they're just in too deep at this point, And there's no time to sit around and second guess. Uh, it's, it's exactly what I said. It's do or die. And one way or another, things are going to have to play themselves out by the end of the episode for the Zindi, I'm um, sorry, the reptilian leadership. And of course, as you noted, they seal their resolve by having a delicious snack of live mice. Very, very nice little cut between when they had the actual live mice in their hands then to when they cut, you know, they swung the camera around and suddenly they're shoving something down their throat and it kind of looks like a mouse, but it's clearly some sort of prop. Uh, I don't know, man. I think that was an actual mouse and I think they just pulled the faces out of the masks and shove it in like empty holes. Or maybe, you know, you were able to get that over on the labor and just be like, hey, put this fucking mouse in your mouth. <laughs> I don't think a union man's doing that one. Uh, Maybe it was CG. Maybe that's where some of that CG budget went. There's also an interesting shout out in this scene. Um, a remorsefulness of the reptilians that the avians are not still alive. They called them our avian brother. How much more Zindi are we going to get in the rest of this uh, season four? The Zindi never show up ever again. It's a real shame, man, because yeah. you've done a lot this season to flesh this race out and the fact that it's five separate races composing one planet's or former planet's interests. Uh, And I think they've really done a great job adding depth to these guys. Like, look at the first two seasons. There were no real memorable aliens that we encountered. And even Voyager, you know, Voyager would touch on new races uh, specifically the, uh, oh, who are the Yuzhan Vong, the rotted face guys with the phage. That was the Vidians. That is correct. The Kazon. There were a couple Kmart other Klingons. Yeah. You know, Klingons. Even the Skevians who are supposed to be way bigger. The Talaxians. Talaxians. We got a fair amount of, yeah, but you know, they would bring these races out. It was always a rocky shitty start. And it was like just at the end that it would turn into like, a real congealed idea that had. Oh yeah. The Captain r- Planet villains were a perfect version of that. the Malorn, the Malorn. Um, and then there were the, uh, Klingassians who were they, the Vaudoir. Yes. Yeah. And they showed up one time. <laughs> Ridiculous. What a fake out, man. <laughs> Total fake out. What the fuck? Um, and it, you're getting a little bit of that here that they, they've introduced, a multitude of species. Uh, and right when I think you're able to really start telling some, some even better stories, cause they're going through this huge transition. They're going over the hump. Boom. Uh, they're going to be never to be seen from again. And that's maybe because the insectoids and the aquatics are expensive to have on stream because they're special effects, but certainly, uh, the reptilians, the, um, arboreals, the, um, primates, like, there's cool stuff to do there. And because time fuckery is going on, right? Mm-hmm. You can say, well, I never saw anything Zindi and TNG or DS9 or Voyager, but like the timeline has clearly changed as a result of this. Right. Zindi could have been a founding member of the Federation too. Like cool stuff could have happened there. But 
I guess you can't hold and, that against and, Enterprise since their storytelling got cut short. Yeah, I was about to say, like, that all makes sense. And perhaps you probably want to give it some breathing space into the next season. Like you just spend it all of season three dealing with the Zindi, right? Nothing mm-hmm. but. So you got to get away from it for a while. And I could definitely see a season five where, you know, if they got to fulfill the plot arcs they wanted to, which was to focus on the Earth Romulan War, that Earth could have called in the Zindi to say, you owe us. You did terror. You did terrorist attack us. And then we, you know, solved your whole we're going to get taken over by transdimensional aliens problem. You know, we for you up the Delphic expanse, which, yeah. you know, we're jumping ahead a little bit here. But uh, yeah, they, they did some real good Samaritan work over there. So maybe uh, you need to go ahead and uh, do us a solid and help us out. Uh, but like you said, they they got cut short on what they were able to do. In fact, there wasn't even a guarantee that season four was necessarily going to happen. And some of the strategic choice here at the end to put a cliffhanger on the end of this almost tacked on was strategic to try and force the hand of the studio to have to give them season four. Cause I mean, that's part of the conversation we're going to get into when we actually talk about season four uh, is that was in the twilight of the UPN, right? This network that began with Voyager season one is coming to an end with enterprise season four and season four is shorter it's only got 20 episodes. It's they kind of knew they probably weren't going to get a fifth. They definitely gave season four an ending that felt like a good place to leave it. If that's where you had to leave it, not talking about the actual ending, but the episode before that. And here we are kind of in that twilight phase and they didn't know if they're going to be getting into that to have that opportunity. So they kind of, tried to force it very interesting they are in the boom tube these uh subspace channels that the zindi are able to transverse i'm assuming with the assistance of uh guidance by the sphere builders well i don't think so they never address that they never address why they can use these boom tubes merely that they know how to track them how to navigate them and know where they are because Because the aquatics use them after the sphere builders have been. And I noticed that. And my assumption was that these subspace passages, which were significantly faster than warp, uh, were a byproduct of the spheres operation. Clearly not the case, Uh, but they're on their way to Earth and uh, they've gotten three of the five codes. They're now able to arm the Death Star, although it is not as fast of an arming process as all five codes would have been, which is some very interesting engineering choices by Degra. Uh, And Enterprise has been forced to make a choice, and that is, do we send the ship after the Death Star or do we honor our promise to the aquatics that we will go deal with these spheres? And we resolved at the end of last episode that Archer was going to take Hoshi, Reed, and a detachment of Makos and get on Degra's ship, which is faster than Enterprise, to chase down to Death Star. Meanwhile, Enterprise was going to go off to a, what a what's the Masonic, the Cornerstone? Is that what you can destroy to cripple a network? 
That is correct. The cornerstone sphere. And they've identified the key one that if they can destroy, um, they can wipe out the whole network. And they feel like they have worked out a way to basically make it implode. So first scene, Archer is with Deepak. Again, I can't believe this guy wasn't named. He gets so much fucking dialogue and so much screen time. The fact they never gave this guy an official name is nuts. But I'm, I'm glad the actor took it upon himself to name the character. Uh, and the the arboreal uh, counselors there too. And they are talking over the need to have Hoshi work on decrypting Degra's schematics to be able to hope to do this. And of course, Reed is like, uh, yo boss, she's barely conscious. She just got two doses of brain parasites. She was tortured. Um, this is going to be real hard, but Archer is in get shit done mode. So it's like, let's put it on some pads and bring it down to her. Let's talk let's about go. Reed for a minute. The amount of compassion and concern he has for Hoshi. Does it really jive? Like, yeah, he's had an outburst after um, Hawkins died on the sphere when they were pulling the sphere brain out. But everything prior really showed Reed as a. An officer that compassion was not the first thing that came to mind. This is a guy who he himself has been ready to lay his own life down time after time again. So he has an expectation that an officer is expected to lie to die in the line of duty and that, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. He's never really seemed to genuinely bond with anybody on the ship short of maybe um, trip. Having him be the constant nagging voice to oppose Archer's business first approach is very odd. I think it's part of his character journey of I've lost too many dudes. It's really been the focus for him in the last few episodes. Hayes has died on him, right? So it's all up to him now. And Hoshi is somebody that like he's, you know, I'm the one that found out that he really liked pineapple and made sure he is cake. How was. touching. Yes. Yeah. Like, but at the same time, like earth is about to be death starred. That this is not the time to tiptoe around and play it. And also too, I mean, reads the guy that fucking patched the impulse engines into the phasers and all the other wild, uh, oh, dangerous I'm, stuff he's done. You for, for the narrative purpose of the scene, someone has to say, what Reed says, right? Cause you're trying to convey to the audience Hoshi's state, which mm. is not particularly functional. Someone has to show compassion for Hoshi's state. Archer can't cause Archer's the leadership person who's got to make the hard choice and demonstrate his resolve, which is to say, I don't care if Hoshi's barely conscious. She's got to try to do this. So someone else has to do it. Can't be any of the Zindi. I don't right? know that arboreal guy looks like he's got a big heart, <laughs> but doesn't know her, right? Like, so it's got to be Reed that is the person sure. that has to offer that resistance. Formulaically, yes. And I, I, you know, that's just a spot where you're kind of stuck with the characters you're stuck with uh, to do that. You can't, I mean, Mayweather has to be on Enterprise. So he might be the best choice for that to be the foil for that, but he can't be here. Yeah. Uh, and then all of, you know, Tripp and, and Paul are obviously stuck on Enterprise for the same reason. So, yeah, it's got to be Reed. On Degra's ship, Archer's like, wake her up. I know that she's like super loopy and realistically should probably be in a medically induced coma, but I need her to do math. (laughs) 
wake the Asian. <laughs> like how shitty for her to be the smartest person, the best, the best crossword puzzle person on the ship to be dragged off of what could very well be your deathbed to go do space math. Like, well, let me cut, we'll cut to the chase here for a second. Uh, boy, Hoshi really is a great scene where there's like, she is despondent. Not long after this, right? Like when Archer goes down with the pad to give it to her. She is sick. She is uh, not able to concentrate. She is hallucinating. Yeah, like just unfocused. She is deeply regretful of the fact that she may have doomed all of humanity by not sufficiently resisting the brain torture, even though it like took two doses to get to her. Remorseful that she was not quicker in jumping off the fucking ledge and killing herself. Yes. Absolutely. To the point where she's just losing it. She's losing it out of guilt, out of pain. Uh, great job uh, doing that. And also on the part of Archer to find the right lane of, I have to be compassionate and gentle, but forceful. Like I got to <laughs> grab you and I got to physically like Hoshi. I get everything you're going through right now. I fucking need you to decrypt this or Everyone's going to die. Do the math. Do the yeah. math. <laughs> it's a real uh, apology scene to putting her in all that hothing earlier in the <laughs> Pop-Tart fuckface episode where she. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, there's a story that comes up in those scenes between her and Archer where she talks about. Do you remember the first time uh, we met in Brazil and you came to see me? And if that didn't sound like first date material, I don't know I what is. I mean, I I have said from the start of this show that so much of their relation of their interactions read as they were in a relationship together. And this episode is just more logs for the fire. I dare anybody that's been on this journey with me to disagree that Hoshi and Archer aren't exes. Well, it's, while they may have dated in the past, their current relationship at this point is uh Archer as the tiger mother pushing Hoshi to academic excellence. Get on that piano and learn that concerto now. Her health be damned. Uh, back on Enterprise, uh, we oh, we have a quick cut back to the uh, the Sphere Builders bitching about how their their timelines uh, aren't lining up anymore, and it's because while Earth might get blown up, Enterprise is definitely trying to destroy the spheres and may succeed in doing so. And they got to do something about it. So when Enterprise rolls up to the Cornerstone Sphere, it has super anomalies all over it. It's like a protective membrane. Of- Not just anomalies. It's straight up like space blob. And that's the same yeah. stuff we had in Harbinger, where it is very toxic to anybody going in. Luckily, long term or long range sensors are able to detect this stuff. And Flox is able to synthesize some space pixie dust that is going to buy the crew about 15 minutes before they all die a horrible death. There's also a a moment when trip is like trying to parse through how they're going to do this deflector pulse. And it's like, yeah, it's going to blow up the ship. when we do this, you realize that. And to Paul has to reassign the stakes to say, you know, trip, uh, earth may or may not get blown up. That's in the captain's hands at this point, but what will definitely happen if we don't stop this, is this expanse will grow and grow and grow until the entire galaxy is consumed by it. 
So that means my planet. That means everyone's planet. So we got a much bigger job to do right here, right now, and we better not fuck it up. This is, I think, my favorite scene in the entire episode um, because these are stakes that I think I, as a viewer, we're certainly not considering. Everything has been very Earth-centric. Um, and it's interesting to see T'Pol say, like, yeah, I'm worried about Earth, and I resigned my commission, and I gave up on the Vulcans to come out here because you're my dudes. Um, but right now, I don't care about Earth, and I don't care about you, and I don't care about the ship or the crew to the same degree that I care about my entire fucking homeworld and the rest of the galactic community. So, like, <laughs> it's she doesn't say it's like Vulcan is more important than human life here but uh that's the scope we are now dealing in and yeah it's clear that you know trip's not considering so like our our job is to save the entire fucking galaxy if earth is gone there's nobody left to fight the sphere builders and we are the last line of defense and it's also a good time to really like think back on the entire season as a whole and back into the uh, tail end of season two where Suval is trying to discourage Enterprise from going into the uh, Delphic Expanse because of boogeymen and scary stories and all this other stuff. And this blind eye that Vulcan has turned to this area, uh, the dangers that they have exposed themselves to. And I think that's a nice entry into the Vulcans have room to grow still story. So. Let's see. Archer uh, has some more back and forth as he starts trying to prep the suicide mission onto the Death Star. He uh, tells Reed, hey, I'm going to steal the show. I'm going to be the star again, by the way. I'm going to, you know, you're going to give me the depth charges. I'm going to blow shit up. I'm going to take the real risky uh, role that you usually like to take because it's Archer and Reed in a mission or a, uh, a race to see who can die in the line <laughs> of duty first. Mm hmm. He pulls rank. This is like the fifth time now this ep- this season that Archer has tried to go in on some suicide mission. As he walks through the door, uh, he gets time sucked. Nothing quite like ruining the flow of your episode. Like a sudden appearance of the time suck. But this is my time favorite. suck looking rough too, man. Like his hair looks like shit. He's, He's a, little, looking- a little tubby. They shot him in profile for some reason. Did him no favors. Let's talk about time suck for a minute. Because we've never really talked about the actor here. And I was very surprised when I finally broke down and looked at his uh, memory alpha. You know who this guy's name is? I don't, actually. This is Matthew Winston. This is Stan Winston's kid. No way. This is Winston uh, Digital Domain, like, prosthetics, Yoda. Oh, yeah. The legend of practical effects, Stan Winston. So, I mean, we've never really shit on this guy as an actor, right? And he's never really done anything to draw ire on it. Like, the guy's playing the role as he's supposed to. But this dude's basically Hollywood royalty. I'm looking through. He's got some real choice shit. I think he's like a crew member on Jurassic Park. But then he's got, like, he was in Galaxy Quest. Uh, he's, he's got some real interesting stuff to his favor. And it's just crazy that this is... <laughs> this guy... This guy's dad had his arm up Yoda's ass, right? Like, <laughs> I thought it was Frank Oz, but okay. Was, oh no, you're right. It was Frank Oz. My bad. <laughs> but I, I, 
it is strange. This man aged a lot since his first appearance, like IRL. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know how to put it like you put a look at a picture of him from his first appearance. and You look at a picture from him now His hairline is about two inches further back. He's got about 30 more pounds on him and they just did him no favors with this black time suit. It's so him bad, profile. Dude. It's it like, so oh, bad. bro, like it looks you like really me out on up. screen. <laughs> yeah, like I look like me. I was going to say that like, like, dude, do you live in Ohio? What is this? <laughs> Times, so, like, Times like has brought Archer though to uh, I, I like this idea of the scene. And that is Times Luck is desperate for Archer to stop trying to fucking kill himself. Because he keeps telling him that he's important, but won't tell him how or won't tell him why. Because that's against the rules. I mean, like, it's really important you live. It's really important you live. And he keeps trying to fucking kill himself, Peter. It's got to be maddening to be Time Zuck in this circumstance here. And this weird, like, shit is happening. It's different. Time is altering. But you know this man has to stay alive. So the last desperate attempt to get him to fucking stop trying to commit suicide. What do you do? You break the rule. You bring him forward seven years into the future in this big arena with all of these people and all of these folks sitting on a dais. And you're like, there's these big blue flags with a planet on them. They seem really familiar. And he goes, you see that guy down there in the blue suit on the far left? That's you, buddy. And that's you becoming the first president of the Federation of Planets. This is your destiny. I'm not supposed to be telling you this, but this is literally the most important thing that ever happens in the galaxy, and you do it. You need to I'm, stop fucking killing me, trying to kill yourself. I'm getting minus 50 DKP. I'm in so much trouble. Yeah. But that's you. That's the Vulcans. That's the Andorians. Spoiler alert, the Tellarites are down there, too. <laughs> Note the Zindi aren't fucking there. So maybe yeah, these guys. guys. They join later. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. There's a lot of turmoil right now, uh, chronologically. Um, no Suliban. No, you know, for all the temporal other stuff from the first two seasons, uh, every time Time Zuck gets involved, it reminds me of the Cabal and all this other stuff that just has not mattered at all and has had zero impact on anything this season. Uh, Archer goes, listen, I don't care. I got no allegiance to you. I've got no allegiance to this federation. My only allegiance is to Earth, and as best I can tell, we are on Earth. So clearly, Earth is a big part of the uh, future of the federation, and what I'm doing is going to save that. So fuck you. Uh, I'm going to be completely ignorant of the fact that you were totally right about that diplomacy thing with the Zindi and that my suicide mission was a bad idea. Oh, yeah. Selective memory there, Archer. I'm staying one track minded on this. And Time Zuck's like, listen, man, all I'm doing is asking you, have that piece of shit Reed go and die in your place. Yeah. Reed or Hoshi. They're not vital to the future. You are like Reed fucking sucks. He's a creep. Nobody's willing to leave a drink open around him like. We, we know this guy is no good. No, it's going to be me. Uh, and this is interesting because you have mentioned that a big part of season four is that Archer finally comes to terms with what his destiny is. Yes. And, and this is why the scene right here is why. He, well, he, he sees that this is what he has to do. And suddenly, you know, he grasps 
you know, what season four is about, which is making this happen. But in the here and now, every time time Zuck has exposed him to the future and made recommendations or said, listen, you need to keep this in mind. Archer has actively rejected the notion that these things might happen or that he has a role to play in it. So uh, it will be interesting to see him turn and finally embrace that kind of stuff. So he, he does end up saying like, I'm going to do this the way that I want to do this. The Federation is not something that exists to me. It exists to you. And that's just the way it is. Now send me back. Enterprise begins its attempt to destroy the cornerstone sphere. Um, they have 15 minutes, as you noted. Flox is actually at the tactical station, kind of monitoring this gas that's been released. They'll give everyone time. <laughs> the gas uh, will prevent them from dying, but not prevent them from having some very nasty looking skin makeup on. So apparently their some skin is splitting apart. Skin cr- cracks and lesions, basically cellular degeneration and uh, breakdown failure. Uh, this is going to be the birth of the hit it with a deflector dish, the most powerful energy output device we have. There's uh, some cool compromises they have to make. Uh, Trip needs to take impulse away from Mayweather because he needs it to power the deflector dish attack. Uh, there's way more anomalies and and other things. So some fancy flying by Mayweather. They get in there. They start laying into this thing with a deflector beam. And finally, the sphere builders, the guardians, decide to take a direct role in this entire debacle, going fully hands on for the first time yet. Like they've put out orders to the spheres to like junk up the area and throw a monkey wrench into some space combat, but they teleport or time travel or whatever the fuck they do onto enterprise. And they start causing hell the same way that the prisoner did back in Harbinger. And that is take advantage of the fact that they are interphasic and stuff passes through them. And they are going to go into the uh, engineering section and start rubbing their hands around inside the warp core and fucking and, and throw Hadoukens at Makos. <laughs> like just, just, Quarter circle forward punch over and over and over again. Yep. Don't need no blaster. I got. I got Tai Chi. All right. This is how we're doing this thing. Meanwhile, Uh, back in the uh, background Earth, we have uh, the the sphere has to come out pretty far from Earth. So they have time to arm by the time they're in orbit. Um, They destroy an unarmed science station called Yosemite three because they're dicks kills like 50 people and what a shitty timeline man like that could have been great 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 grandma and great 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 grandpa and you could have just been alive enjoying life in the post-scarcity society of the fucking 24th century and just erased just like that because some fucking time aliens shove space lizards at grandma Degra's ship finally catches up with the sphere and it's one escorting vessel which is a reptilian ship not really a match for it. They're going to try and make a run at getting close so that Archer and the team can get beamed on. They don't feel like they have much chance of success, but, but we've got a phone, a friend. We've got a lifeline. A new challenger appears. 
there's a there's suddenly out for it's like it's like out out from the tunnel, right? Like it's a WWE match, right? The Undertaker's in trouble, you know. But here he comes here comes Stone Cold with the steel chair. It's it's Shran. It's Shran. Why is he here? He wants you know what? Archer, you're you're not going to be able to fool fool me, buddy. You need help. You need someone to throw down here. I've been tracking you the entire time. I tracked. Feel really bad about how I fucked you up the last time and tried to steal the prototype and all that other stuff. And I kind of let you get away with all that. I'm here to do you a solid. I'm going to fight the reptilians so you can get this job done. Quick pro wrestling aside, since you invoked it. To, to, to take the steam out of uh, one of the coolest moments of the season. So apparently Ric Flair is coming through Columbus and he is going to be touring various Kroger's, which is our supermarket promoting oh, his energy drink. <laughs> oh no. I can only imagine the drunken mess that these Kroger's are going to turn into. And if I didn't have kids, I would be getting drunk so I could go yell woo in a fucking supermarket with a pro wrestling legend in his twilight years, man. Um, Shran popping out of the side hatch and lending a hand, running interference, gunning down uh, Dolan's reptilian escort vessel as uh, Degra and Shran 2v1 this thing is great. And that's going to split us into three action sequences. That's the space combat of Shran versus the reptilians. That is going to be Reed and Archer and assorted Makos in a ground combat situation on the Death Star. And then that is Enterprise not only trying to collapse the Sphere network, but actively fighting the Sphere Builders. So they have synchronized their swatches, and it is action across the board. This is the biggest complaint I have of this season. They pop out of the boom tube. There's Earth. I forget what planet they say they're next to, wherever this fucking Yosemite station is, right? Mm-hmm. And they've got a pretty long distance they're going to have to transverse while the Death Star continues arming itself. Where in the fuck is Starfleet at? This is so bad, it's unforgivable. All right, let me take you back to the end of season two. The Zindi probe comes out of the subspace node, flies up to Earth, and cuts a geographically impossible line from Florida to fucking Brazil or whatever it is, Venezuela, right? Venezuela, yeah. Earth reels at the events. Earth recalls every single vessel loyal to Starfleet and the fucking whatever the Trade Federation, the Space Trucker League is, right? And Priority One is now defending Earth. And it is only because Archer is able to come up with basically stolen knowledge that Time Zuck gifted him that he gets a hall pass where he can take the most advanced ship currently operational out on this wild goose chase to go track down the Zindi homeworld in the Delphic Expanse, which is essentially a suicide run. But every other goddamn ship is supposed to be huddled around Earth. You'll recall when Archer left. Uh, and Duras tried jumping him on his way out of the solar system, like two other Starfleet ships were there to intercept and like, f- or no, maybe he was three coming back. It was when he was coming back to Earth to get briefed is when three other Starfleet ships rolled in and they were like, oh, who is that fucking guy? <laughs> like, yeah. So if this was like season one, 
maybe I could buy that there wasn't a armada of ships actively patrolling Seoul. But when we're this deep in it again, I'm assuming at some point there were reports that Archer sent back along the subspace relay network that is supposed to penetrate the thermobaric uh, veil because he's talked to Forrest during the course of season three that he has said, hey, like we're in the danger zone. This thing might be shown up at any day. The fact that there is a prolonged space combat, including blowing up fucking starships or space stations and Earth doesn't even send up as much as a fucking garbage truck to help them is ridiculous. And you could say, well, you know, we need to keep it reasonable. We need to keep it look like Shran. Have more than one reptilian vessel around this thing. Throw some chafe in there. Give me a big fucking star fight. And and it's Dolan's ship specifically is too dangerous and blows up several Starfleet ships. And Shran is the hero coming in for, for soloing him here. But I, I almost have to ask you at this point, like the goofy shit that happens at the end, it has to be current day earth because Yosemite stations there. It is. Uh, this plot hole is so large. It's actually mentioned in the memory alpha. It's called out, which they haven't done much of in enterprise. I'll, I'll even read the segment here. No explanation is given as to why there are no Starfleet vessels in the vicinity to defend earth. A fact explicitly mentioned in the episode by the Zindi. Although this is common in Star Trek, leaving it up to the hero ship to save Earth, it is especially noteworthy because Starfleet came to Enterprise's aid when they were attacked by Duras in the Soul System in the Expanse, and many of them will be there to welcome her at a different episode later on down the road. So it actually is just a massive plot hole. They overlooked the fact that there needed to be a, a whole furball of Starfleet vessels that should have been engaging here. And maybe they get their shit pushed in deep like it's Wolf 359. Absolutely. They Perfect. needed to be there. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. They fly up on the Death Star. Death Star's got point defense, and Death Star just wrecks all the space trucks and shitty old whatever the precursor to the NX was, the workhorse. But th- this is fucking awful. Where, Manny Koto, where were you at on this? You know, this is, <laughs> look who wrote it though. I, and that's exactly what I'm looking at. <laughs> Old team ramrod at it again. Uh, so let's ignore. Let's force ourselves to ignore the fact that it is fucking ridiculous that after space 9-11, there is no sign of the TSA at the airport. But Shran showing up is cool. Shran showing up to do his boy Archer a solid works. I like that. You know, the the stank of the fact he had to betray him has stuck with him. And so he's made a point of intervening in this moment of need. And boy, like he throws down, man. Like they cut back to his bridge. Everything's fucking on Shit's fire. On fire. <laughs> he's just like, keep fire. Fucking kill these assholes. <laughs> like, okay, Shran, got him. I like it. I like you know, it. He opens up with the pink skin comment too. Like, I, if there's anybody to say, like, get me a, I, by the end of this, I want a pair of lizard skin boots. It would have been Shran. Yes. Did you ever see that meme, by the way? What what does Shran call Mayweather? Yeah. <laughs> 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 like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> And, anyway, Ensign, so, is that what he calls him? Ensign? Ensign calls him Ensign. So that's a pretty gnarly uh, fight sequence. Should we just talk about each thing that's happening and close it out on its own? Yeah. First, let's close out the spheres. 
the pulse is working. The guys are throwing fireballs. Phlox actually gives direction to the Makos to be like, this is how you fucking kill them. <laughs> Modulate your phasers. phasers. So, well, listen, good enough for the Borg. It's good enough for these assholes. Modulate your shit around. You'll start getting some good shots. Uh, the Makos retool their phasers. They start landing shots. The Guardian Sphere Builders are like, wait, this sucks. I don't like this pain. Let's run away through the wall. Uh, they lose them. And then we get a really good uh, season cliffhanger, completely undiscussed action where they go into some sort of a back room closet and they start fucking with new doodads laying on the floor, which catches Flox's attention. But Flox refuses to say what's happening because he doesn't want to distract people from the task at hand, which I'm guessing is probably pretty bad news for Archer or for uh, Enterprise come season four. They're probably like ruining all the air, or like backing up the toilets or something real raw. <laughs> but ultimately, they uh, you know, all the chocolate, <laughs> you know, they're they're up against the limit. They're all about to die from being in this thing. Now don't have time left, but trip at the last second. He hits the button. Boop. Gads a little bit extra juice, and sure enough, we get the implosion of the cornerstone sphere and the follow-up implosion of another one, and it is in fact implied that the whole network is being brought down. Uh, as mentioned, freaking Shran houses the reptilian ship and blows it up, but before that happens, Dolem gets on to the sphere, and on the sphere... We get some, we get some, it, we get some fun shit. Hope you're in the mood for people to fall off a bridge. You want to talk about OSHA violations? This is why this we build. bridge is deadly. Many <laughs> people are thrown off this bridge. I was just about to criticize this scene. Like, it's ridiculous <laughs> that Earth Defense Forces are not there. It's ridiculous that uh, Dolan only has one ship escorting the fucking. Uh, Death Star through this like granted the aquatic like there was the attack on the Death Star before they were able to jump out but like him only having one ship kind of stupid granted he blew up the fucking insectoid but only two ship like there should have been more ships Earth should have been there um, Starfleet should have been there the Death Star is fucking huge the Death Star it's like the size of the moon. It's huge. Yeah. It looks like it might as well be the fucking Death Star. Like there should be thousands of people working on this thing. And as well say, where the fuck are they all at? And the answer is the bridge. There's a lot of bridges in this thing. There's a lot of empty bottomless pit to go around. And not a single one of these bridges have a fucking hand railing. So I think what happened was this was fully staffed and they got their first like good Star Trek uh, camera shake. And it was just like a fucking Etch-A-Sketch. And there was a picture of a fully crude station and they shook it and everybody disappeared from that picture. And they're laying on the floor at the bottom of the Death Star right now. I like to think that's because it was built by the aquatics underwater and they did not understand the concept of railings. That would be a real challenge to wrap their head. Like what? <laughs> yeah. They, what, yeah. Fall? How do feet work? <laughs> What are feet? What, what if they fall <laughs> off the bridge? I don't know. They'll fly back up here. Obviously, who can listen? They need something to walk on. We built a popsicle stick for bridge for them to walk on. Isn't that good enough? Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck you guys. Listen, we're bankrolling this thing. You think I got fucking? 
oh, we want railings. I'm sorry. You want some fucking brass fittings on the doorknobs, too. Maybe I'll use uh, silk sheets like fuck you guys. <laughs> this shit's expensive. The the three reptilians that are in there look up. Hoshi and Archer are staring at them, and they're like about to get their gats out, and they just get murdered. They just get murked immediately by the three dudes on Overwatch. Right, like they go to shoot, and then it's like done. The makos that they pick for this, I don't think could look any goofier than they do. Like each of these guys looks weird and ill placed for their own reason. All of them suffer some real gruesome ass deaths. The one guy who arguably kills most reptilians, I think he ends up in some like the the this is the second time now the reptilians have like come up with a gun on somebody, but like definitely within melee strike range. So they get disarmed. Uh, there's a little back and forth. Then underage Mako gets shanked and then thrown off the bridge. Well, it starts with underage Mako shoots one of the reptilians and the reptilian falls off the bridge. Then he gets jumped by a guy, gets into a fight, gets stabbed. Then he gets thrown off the bridge. Mm -hmm. And then that reptilian also gets thrown off the bridge. I haven't seen this many people die and fall off a bridge since Aeon Flux. It's it's this bridge has a high kill count and we are not exaggerating. I'm assuming, by the way, that the bottom of the pit is like that. This is basically a Mortal Kombat level, which kind of jives for the whole vibe I'm getting off of this. And at the bottom of the pit's just a bunch of spheres, spears like planted in the concrete. So it's, you know, yeah. And you put in a code, you get a reptile who we've met. Yeah. He comes back and he's happy to spit and <laughs> spit and shirtless trips uh, face again. Yehoshi's guiding Archer through doing this. She loses the pad at one point. She has to remember how, you know, she's hanging in there. She's showing her resolve. She did her decryption. Archer's playing with lava lamps. It's all going to plan. Everyone's starting to beam out, but one person's staying behind. It's Archer to set up the explosives to blow this thing up, but he'll be right behind. So he sets up the explosives. He blows the, the, the spinning a prop, which was actually pretty cool that they built this big practical spinning, you know, sphere thing. So that's two props they put together. I forget what that sphere. Oh, that sphere. I'm sorry. The thing inside of the spinning sphere is the Romulan mine that stabbed Reed in the leg, which very curious that Reed didn't recognize his old nemesis. <laughs> and then the fucking thing that looks like some American gladiators torture rack that it's spinning around in. That was actually a piece of gym equipment back from the Hoshi transporter accident. Oh, yeah. I episode remember that, one. that like trips spinning around. And so they put the Romulan mine in the spinny ball. And that's the heart of the 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 Death Star. Uh, he starts blowing it up. Once he begins destructing this thing, he's able to climb back in the hole, switch the last lava lamp upside down, peeks his head up. And once you know it, Shang Soon is waiting for him. It's the boss fight. Yep. And when I say Shang Soon, this Dolem is in an, a luxuriously appointed robe. You will not his... see a more luxurious robe until you get uh, <laughs> you jump forward several hundred years to Club Two Vak. And he's still got the the stupid eighties like you know Coat like hanger tube cage over it. <laughs> 
And the dude is acting like a Mortal Kombat boss. He is just slapping the shit out of Archer. Just very whoop, unfulfilling. Like Archer might his ass. Archer hung around. The reason he didn't let Reed stay behind for this suicide mission, he knew this boss fight was coming. He knows what Dolan is capable of in terms of erection uh, generating head punches. But Dolan's on to his tricks. He's like, listen, I'm not here to get you off. I'm here to like accomplish a mission. He's just going with like very unsexy claw attacks. Mm-hmm. And that's really causing some bad blue balls for Archer. Archer pisses him off. It focuses him. You know, it I'm does. not it, I'm not coming. You're not hitting me in the head. There's I was no promised that force. I could have a, a glorious death and be, um, you know, punched in the head so many times I would get my hundred virgins and move on to Shangri-La erect. He's being denied and and he is out for blood. There's no smile on his face. There's no diplomacy. Uh, I like how they show that the reptilians are strong. Like he supernaturally flips Archer. Oh, and yeah. Like there's some potence behind this guy. Effortlessly. Actions. Effortlessly. And so and in, in possibly the most metal death that Star Trek ever gives you. Archer is ultimately successful in his fight with Tholum. Not because he's able to match his strength. Not because he's able to pull a gun. In fact, he gets a gun and gets it slapped out of his hand like he's an unruly child. He kind of like monkeys onto his back and then gets thrown off. But then when he gets up, he's got the detonator for the last explosive in his hand. (laughs) And he just pulls it out in front of Dolem and then hits it and just kind of stares at him for a second. And unfortunately, Dolem's giant luxurious robe is actually the thing that gets him killed because he can't get to the back of his shoulder to pull it off. And Archer just stands behind a pillar and he is blood splattered everywhere. He is fucking atomized. He is very dead. He's fucking pissed. He's like, are you fucking kidding me? I, I built this entire Death Star. I came over here to fight you and you're telling me I don't get to die by falling off the fucking <laughs> bridge. What kind of bullshit is that? Like I can't Six go to heaven. Just die falling off this bridge. This is bullshit. What, what Archer does to him is effectively back in a, what was a Vietnam episode? No, not the Vietnam episode. What's the one where, uh, Oh gosh, who gets co-opted? It's co-opted. And like the the evil predator aliens that look like Nausicans, like oh, yeah, when yeah, they yeah. kill people, they make them face the ground so their body oh no, so their spirits go off into space instead of the planet. Like that's the level of dirty that Archer does to Dolan by not letting him die by falling off a fucking bridge. Maybe he gets lucky, maybe like his upper torso gets blown off and like enough of his head flies off down into the pit that it's. It I just love that there's only a blood splatter on all of the walls and that's it. There's no further of Dolum to be found. Let me tell you about my second big gripe about this episode. Hot on the heels of the complete lack of Starfleet presence in the soul system is the fact that you have the quintessential human reptile monster fight here and not a single double axe handle to be found. No, no. There was there was some good Trek fighting by the underage Mako before he got thrown off the bridge. He did not execute on a double axe handle, though. No, that is c- secret Starfleet tech. Archer not double axe handling Dolem like a point, big points off 
big fucking points. <laughs> That's why he had to resort to the explosive. He just, <laughs> just yeah. he forgot to unlock that technology. Yeah, he <laughs> he respect. He didn't take out as many points in brawl. He couldn't get to that feat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ar- and then Ar- as the ship explodes, Archer gets possibly the the most cool guy running from explosive moment as he runs down the bridge. <laughs> like it's just, it's it just in synchrony running behind him as he's like in full stride in slow motion. They're just like action hero shot. I, I needed him to fall off the bridge too. Like <laughs> it, it, it's either a hundred percent or it's zero. Amazingly Archer running across this bridge while there's all like WWF level pyrotechnics blowing up behind him. <laughs> Like you'd think he was Triple H, right? Right. Um, I'm going to say it is not as cool, actually, as Hawkins running across the plank as Vulcan zombies try to rip his legs off. I agree. I mean, that that episode is tough to beat when it comes to its uh, physical action. Running over bridges and stuff. Uh, Jump back over to... Enterprise, they collapse the network, they fly out, no one dies, they have long-term scars, um, they go to the rendezvous point, finally, uh, Degra's ship shows back up, and overcomes Reed and Hoshi. Oh, I don't know if any Makos are even left at that point, point. that was silly too, that, that Archer There, there are two Makos left, and... One thing to to mention, though, in the scene where they're kind of wrapping things up, Flox actually does have a good uh, scene very much earlier where he's like writing a will. He's very like happy, I'm like oh, I might die, it's fine. You know, like he's had a very happy, lucky attitude about the whole thing. Um, Trip and Paul are talking in the command center that you know they've succeeded in their mission, but they're waiting to hear if Archer had succeeded in his, and you know. Their skin's healing, but T'Pol's is is healing a little slower. And Trip, you know, kind of like awkwardly compliments her and says, you know, you look nice like that, like an old oil painting. And then T'Pol, I mean, I, Jill and Blaylock really stepped up her acting, I think, like once she kind of got access to being more emotional because of the plot. where She's like offended for a moment. But, and then goes, I am not old. I will be turning 66 on my next birthday. And then Triplex suddenly just was like, why did you just tell me that? I have been trying to get you to tell me my, your, your age. He says since star, star, they left uh, Stardock. I think that actually it's been since carbon Creek, but still for a long time, that's been hanging out there. And to Paul says bashfully, some information is considered intimate. And then T'Pol said, while scratching her neck, look, Trip, I'm coming down off of uh, space drugs. <laughs> Dost thou haveth any more space crack from yeah. the smoke? <laughs> it, it, pardon me, Trip, but I'm, uh, in case you didn't know, a dust head. <laughs> Step off my nuts, please. I've got bigger problems than you right now. Yeah, it's a nice uh, emotional moment. It's a further bonding for them. It's a admission, a another step in admissions that there is a strong chemistry that will not be denied. I do enjoy the makeup for the cracked skin that they carry through them. It does not look comfortable. It looks very painful in character. 
and I thought that was a real nice touch. But they end up meeting up at the airlock as uh, Degra's ship docks and people come over. Where's the captain? Well, wouldn't you know it? Captain didn't make it. Everyone is pretty crushed. Um, T'Pol heads to sick bay. She's got a little rash still. She's really talking about her feelings about the fact that the captain has passed. That's when you get another big emotional breakthrough moment. Cause who else is hanging out with flocks in his menagerie, but it's Porthos. Porthos is sad. Porthos is laying in his bed. He's wondering where his, where his master is. And in a, in a moment of true humanity to Paul, not only for the very first time in the show speaks to Porthos, but pets him, which given her revulsion in regards to dogs is probably, you know, the most selfless thing she's done on this ship. It's nice. It's a nice way to show to Paul's growth as a character. Uh, no further discussion of Degra, sadly, through this, as they kind of recap, like, the losses that the Enterprise has suffered, that uh, Zindi have suffered. You know, there's talk about, hey, we're reconvening the console, council. Eventually, the uh, reptilians will have to come back in. We're, we're making healing. But, you know, there were great sacrifices here. Again, Degra was my boy. Degra's getting MVP this season. I think he's going to be my favorite character and for great reasons. Um, kind of shitty not to mention him or his widow and children that <laughs> were threatened with death. And, you know, it's very clear that Archer's not really dead. Um, let's let's count now. And this is what my notes ask. How many Archer's dead fake outs have they tried to pull on us? Because uh, we got. Oh, when was the last time there was a suicide run? Yeah, in Saudi Prime was the last time. Um, gosh, I feel like there's been a couple of. Oh, uh, when he was transported. Uh, during the space jihad. Yeah, but they knew that he wasn't dead, and so did the audience. It was uh, just the villains who knew and thought he was dead. Perhaps. I'm going to say, I'm going to do my homework. I'm going to count up. I want to say there's at least, this is at least the fourth time they've tried to like fake you into thinking he's dead. I also it's- feel like it's happened a few times. I can't name them off the top of my head. This will require research, but I agree with you that this is, this is a road well-traveled and certainly I don't think anyone is meant to believe it. And certainly they don't try to leave the audience with that impression by the end. So the deal is this, uh, we've saved the day. We've saved the, um, Delphic expanse. There's confirmation that the thermobaric barrier has fallen. All the spheres are gone. The anomalies have dried up. All the space, uh, goop is gone. The Zindi are going to have a much easier time and maybe the, evil bad side of town vibe that has permeated this part of space will relax and people can start living happy and and it's not going to be a fucking hellhole anymore the aquatics agree that they are going to suck enterprise into their oversized cargo bay boom tube them home they drop enterprise off and they get ready to receive the hero's welcome as they start approaching earth and here comes complaint number three for this episode. <laughs> that it's not actually the end. This has been an intense fucking season, right? Right. These dudes deserve the fucking hero's return. There's a lot of stuff to be resolved. 
We're not going to get any of that. And this is a fucking dense crew. Granted, they're the first people out doing this stuff for all the time, but like, we're not getting any radio signals. We're not seeing anything. Of course, it doesn't cross anybody's mind. Like, weird, there's no space traffic anywhere around Earth, which normally would be a big fat fucking red flag. But since the Death Star just showed up, they're ready to gun it down and none of Earth defense forces were present. I guess that's just par for the course. But they fly over, they get into orbit over Earth and like, we don't detect any uh, radio waves or anything. Well, get in a shuttle and just fly down there. Like at no point does it cross your mind like maybe this isn't the right time or maybe this isn't actually Earth. And again, they're doing the stuff for the first time. So I guess if anybody gets a hall pass on this, it's them. But Mayweather trip, get in a shuttle. They go to fly down to to San Francisco to a shuttle pad that's going to end up not being there when all of a sudden they get attacked by airplanes of the World yes. War II flavor. P- P-51 Mustangs <laughs> attack them. And then, oh no, hold on. You thought you, thought you were going to get through a Star Trek series without them. But you're wrong. <laughs> Look who it is. It's the Nazis. <laughs> That's right, we found a way to bring Nazis into Enterprise. Because... We're in like a field hospital. It's clearly the 1940s. Everyone is speaking German. Everyone's got SS uniforms on. Someone's looking for someone. They come in. There's Archer. He's burned. Everyone's wondering if they've ever seen the uniform before. And then the last shot is some weird looking alien we've never seen before. That's also in an SS uniform. Fade to black with intense music. Throw all that in the fucking trash, man. They pulled that shit out and I was like, give me <laughs> showing up to Earth. Paramount has all of these Nazi outfits. Uh, you Gotta make what? sure they use them. I get it, man. I and get all these it. Extras, they know how to speak German. They've been in so many war movies. I get it. But like Enterprise showing up to Earth and it being the wrong year, presumably pretty cool like wow what are the effects of the spheres popping out and the temporal cold war and this and that like it's not a bad plot device that hey you thought things were over but enterprise is lost in space you know far be it from me to say that it's beyond jonathan archer's ability to quantum leap back in time it is his core competency But the fucking Nazis, I'm going to say this right now. If I'm going to give New Trek any one big kudos across the board, it's that to the best of my knowledge, and granted, I haven't watched the rest of season three of Strange New, I'm sorry, season two of Strange New Worlds. And I didn't watch a lot of Discovery, but as far as I can tell, there are no World War II era Nazis anywhere in New Trek. They have such thus far annoyed it. Uh, they have thus far avoided it. Yes. Original series had Nazis. Next gen. I don't think had any Nazis. Voyager. Alien Nazis. Now. Enterprise alien Nazis. Was it, Were there Nazis in Deep Space Nine? Well, the Cardassians are Nazis, so yes. Absolutely. That's that's very clearly Nazis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I was thinking yes, about this a bit, when I was thinking about this, yes. 
I was like, yeah, I mean, they're, they're Cardassians, but I mean, they're not actually wearing SS uniforms. Like, I can take a space fascist, but I'm just tired of the fucking Nazi thing, man. And like, yeah, it's kind of TOSy, I guess. But as they were doing this, they had to figure out, like, listen, man, there's no more gas left in this fucking thing. I mean, I, you know, it's always attractive to use Nazis when you can because they're just so stylish as bad guys. You know, they're so iconic as bad guys. Uh, but yeah, uh, they, this is just a. So they wrapped up the Zindi story arc, but they realized they hadn't wrapped up the temporal Cold War yet. And so the, here that here we are. And so the beginning of season four is actually going to be the end of that plot line. They have got to find a way to like tie that up. And so they went with Nazis. I actually think these episodes end up being pretty fun, but they are from out of fucking nowhere. And it is wild that they decide to end on this cliffhanger. And this cliffhanger, everything we talked about at the beginning, that there was a concern that they weren't going to get a season four. And a very, what I think is transparent, Hail Mary, not Hail Mary, but a, a desperate play by Berman to create this goofy uh, M. Night Shyamalan uh, end to season three, just reeking of desperation that, oh God, you know, if if UPN doesn't give us season four, these start these trekkers are just going to fucking burn down Paramount. There, there's going to be so many letters. There's going to be uh you know petitions and this and that. Like it worked though. It worked in T for for TOS right. TOS got its last season because of a letter writing campaign. So when you're literally working on the franchise and that tactic has actually functioned in the past, you're biased to think it will function again. You know. Yeah, but Nazis, man, like. Yeah, make them Roman centurions, make them Teutonic knights, make them make them something other than Nazis. I I heard there's a World War Three in there somewhere we could have used potentially, (laughs) allegedly. It's World War One. It's like the it's like the Second World War, except you know more brutal. Yeah, mustard gas. I don't know. This was a real shit way to end it. I'm glad to see, however, uh, Archer was able to quantum leap into some real gnarly head wounds. Uh, that's a nice uh, compensation for the blue ball fight that was Dolan. So we are going to head into season four next. Uh, there is a, a rip uh, for, for season three, of course, that you'll hear in between. Um, but what, when we return to, to enterprise, what will we be watching? We're going to be coming into Stormfront. Uh, this guy's coming at us season four, episode one, October 8th, 2004, uh, written by Manny Cotto. All right, good. I like that. Alan Croker. Archer and his crew find themselves in earth's past with the events of world war two altered by the temporal cold war. I, what did you because you you came in watching season three, right? Mm-hmm. You got to this episode. Mm-hmm. You got this ending. What was mm-hmm. your reaction? I watched the next one. Yeah, but I mean, like when you saw the Nazi, like what, I was like, I was also like, what the fuck? 
<laughs> especially because like the aliens one you've never seen before it's like not a fucking guy you know like was i supposed i actually thought to myself was i supposed to know what that guy was was that like a callback to a prior season is there something i'm missing and then you watch the next episode and realize you're not actually missing anything mm. i don't know bad taste in my mouth it, th- that was a that was a big between that starfleet uh, Starfleet's absence and the lack of a double axe handle in the big boss battle. Some big points off on this episode. Uh, I am looking forward, however, to getting to season four. Crazy. We've got 20 more episodes to go, and then this is whole thing's finished. Yeah, there's 22 total in season four, but one of them is the, these are the voyages, which is just like, you know, kind of rancid. And then Stormfront takes two of them. So really only 19 episodes that I would consider true season four entries have they done an actual clip show no no clip show here Hmm. um before so just so the folks know that are following along uh just to give you an idea of what our release schedule is going to look like we're going to take a little bit of a break here since we have hit the end of the season we're going to do our rip as per normal next week uh peter and i are going to pre-record that and put that out for everybody so It'll be here for you next Thursday. Then after that, we're going to take three weeks to actually roll out to you our reviews of Picard season three that we did for our patrons several months ago um, under incredible levels of peer pressure, uh, but to our ultimate satisfaction. Uh, So do enjoy those. And then we will be back with you here for season four after that. And uh, we'll be using that break not only to uh, you know get ready and, and get caught up on on uh, recording episodes for season four, but also some additional Patreon content for those of you who are subscribed. And if you want to be subscribed and you want to listen to that content, you can find us at www.patreon.com slash please. We got Halloween coming up, too. So I think uh, we're going to... Yeah, it's time for another spoopy movie. Absolutely. What did we say we we're doing? Well, you know what? We've... Let's keep that a secret. <laughs> Let's keep that a secret. Little V'ger T's. Little V'ger T's. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody, and we'll see you again next week. <laughs> <laughs>